0: The family of God, I've been watching.
1: You this evening? Good. Good to see you here in God's house on a Sunday evening. We had a had a little shower this afternoon. And listen, at six, were y'all anywhere near here at 6 o'clock when that bolt of lightning hit? I was coming in from my car in the parking lot, and I was sure it hit me. <laughs> I'm glad nobody was watching. <laughs> or listening. <laughs> you are. I thought I was gone. I, 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 I uh, Was that you laughing, Bill? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what it hit, but it was something nearby. <clears throat> um, you no, know, the cross on the sanctuary is fine. I've already looked at it. Uh, hospitalized church members, we want to remember this evening as we go in prayer. Ms. Frances Branch, continuing to improve. I think she's in the transitional wing now and uh, hopes to come home Wednesday was the last message we had. Um, Ilone Johnson is still up there in uh, the step-down unit and uh, having tests run and, and diagnosis and uh, is a little improved, but we want to continue remembering her too. Sue Perry got home Friday, recovering from her knee replacement surgery. Let's remember uh, Gina Sumner, who will be having surgery Tuesday at Mayo in Jacksonville, and Rayburn Martin will be having surgery Wednesday here at TIFF Regional. So let's remember these as we pray. Father, we thank you for the showers that we enjoyed this afternoon, and and our earth continues to need that that replenishing um, flow that, that renews and nourishes it, and our souls need that replenishment as well. So just pour your spirit upon us and strengthen us and guide us um, to serve you and love you and be your people in these days. We lift up to you especially tonight, Miss Ilone Johnson, as they diagnose and treat her. We pray for uh, Miss Frances Branch as, as she continues to heal from a fall and a broken bone and just strengthen her enough to be home soon where those nearby can care for her. We lift up Sue Perry as she continues to recover from surgery. And then Gina Sumner and Rayburn Martin as they prepare for surgery this week. We just pray for their, uh, the success of both procedures and their healing and recovery as a result. God, you are so good. And you love us and you provide for us. And you have so much to offer us if we'll just ask. So help us learn to be more dependent children upon a heavenly Father who has good things to give to those whom he loves and those who come asking. So help us to, to realize the resources that are at your disposal. Pour, pour those resources out upon these whom we've prayed for, upon this service, and upon all we say and do in the coming days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Bill, come and introduce us mission testimonies.
2: Well, um, many of y'all do not know we did four youth mission trips this summer, and we did them all the same week, which was uh, kind of interesting. Um, each team had about a van full of people, um, and so we had four vans, and they all took off approximately at the same time. Uh, the, we had a team that went to uh, St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands, and the adults. I'm going to try to – I didn't write this down, but I'm trying to go with my memory, which is kind of bad. But uh, I went on that, and April Dukes also went with me as a leader. Then we had a team that went to uh, Costa Rica, and Dana, my wife, went, and also Francisco Preciado also went with her as a leader. Then we had a team that went to Fort Pierce and uh, Jacob Russell, who uh, was our intern, his uh, – uh, Went And then he also had Edie Jones go with him. And then we had a team that went to Marietta, and that team had, uh, as the Gary and uh, Becky Aikens went, and also um, Kelly Bowen went. So those were our four teams. Uh, I'm gonna, we've, we've got four youth that are going to come and share briefly with you all about each one of these trips. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot more they would like to share. Uh, I'll just say this, that I was really excited. God really used every one of them, so it was really awesome. Uh, Lauren Lever is going to come first when I finish, and she'll talk about uh, Virgin Islands. Then Hugo will come and, and share about Costa Rica. Then Kirby can come, and Kirby uh, Bostic will come and share about uh, Fort Pierce. And then Jacob Main will share about Marietta. So Lauren. <laughs>
3: Hey everybody, I'm Lauren, and I got the privilege to go on the mystery mission trip. Um, Well, when I first signed up for the U.S. Virgin Islands trip, I didn't know about it. Um, Well, I signed up, and I felt God really wanted me to go there because we all know there's Florida teams and all that. And I figured that the mystery trip would be something really nice and fun to go to. And God, <laughs> and God really called me to go. And everyone was so scared, like to be—I was terrified. I was every meeting we went to, I was always asking Bill, "Where are we going? Where are we going?" And actually, me and Nick tried to figure out where we were going, but it didn't work. And so all of us are on this bus at like 12:30 in the morning, leaving here, headed to somewhere we don't know where we're going to. And we we're all, the nerves are high. And when we got to the airport. I was extremely nervous because we didn't know where we were going. So once we got our tickets, it said Saint Thomas, and I'd never heard of the place, and um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know I didn't know where it was or anything. And when he said the U.S. Virgin Islands, I'm pretty sure most of you think, "Oh, paradise." Well, when we got there, we completely forgot about the paradisey place. We went to the place where it needed the most mission work. And it just really touched me because every time we went to, we went to a nursing home, and we would sing songs and worship God, and there's this one lady who was, she couldn't hear, she couldn't talk, and like, she's just really getting into it, and you could tell that she was all fired up for the Lord, but she couldn't express it, and that really touched me. And after that, we went to other people's houses and things like that, and then We had this Bible club with this church, Pastor Lennox, we worked with, Ebenezer, and um, we got to work with all these amazing kids. We did backyard Bible clubs, and it just really touched me because they have nothing, and they, they didn't know anything we were talking to them about, which was great, so we could elaborate on Jesus Christ, and through that, he showed me that what I have here, I take for granted a lot because... People there had nothing, and I just really appreciate being given this opportunity to go to a place where, yes, it might be pretty, but there's another side to it that we don't see. And I was just blessed to be able to share with all these little kids about God, and it was just an overall great experience.
4: My name is Hugo. I went this summer to Costa Rica. We had a really great trip. It was very nerve-wracking for me because I've never been on a plane before to go to Costa Rica. So I thought it was a very nerve-wracking but also adventurous thing. And I'm very privileged to be be able to go to Costa Rica because I've had problems with money financially, and I thank God for letting me given me the privilege to go to the trip. While we were there, we actually we evangelized each door-to-door every day in the afternoon, and in the more, night, we would go to a church, a different church every day. And the evangelizing was my favorite part because we get to talk about Jesus to every person there. And it was good for me because I get to work on my Spanish because I'm not... Eh. But... <laughs> So a good thing Francisco went on the trip because we had a lot of help with translating what we had to say. But and we went to elementary schools to visit kids and to talk to them about the Lord. I actually like that one too because I'm very I'm like I love to play with kids and to tell them about the Lord. And we actually brought them toys to tell um, to give it to them we had 150 bags made was that right and we gave a child a bag for them to keep and we visited churches as i just said but <laughs> every day and i felt like they were like fired up for the for the lord and i actually i actually love that because no matter what they did they were they didn't care they loved to talk and worship the lord and god really showed me on this trip to not take everything for granted when we visited people's houses for example they didn't have much and i thought that wow what we have here is like special and for them to like be happy and for them to take like love on everything what they have i thought that was really really neat for me and God created all this like when I saw the mountains and the beauty of all of this I was like wow God you have blessed me for letting me see this and for the creation you've made like in Psalms 24 1-2 the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters I'm very lucky and fortunate to be able to experience such beauty no matter what the church it is every person loves to worship the lord and oh thank you for our support and prayers <laughs>
5: I went to Fort Pierce. And then in the mornings, we do Backyard Bible Club and then uh, a little basketball camp, which we didn't really know as much about basketball as the kids there, but we tried to help them and everything. And then there we had, uh, they had like a snack, a Bible story. And then at the Bible story, it was weird because some of the kids, they knew like all the Bible stories we were talking about, but some of them had never even heard of Jesus or their stories or anything. And then in the afternoons, we went to, a food bank where we had to sort all this food that all the people had donated and everything. And then we also had to pack these cardboard boxes of food to like distribute to the different people and everything. And then at night we had worship every night. It was like just the youth that were staying there, our group and then the group from Westside. And it was kind of like Joy Explosion every night with everyone. And that was real cool because you don't really get to do Joy Explosion every night when you're in Tifton. And then, on Wednesday, we played bingo with the senior adults, and then I think the youth were more excited about the bingo than the senior adults, but it was fun anyways and then Thursday night, which was my favorite night, we had worship on the beach, and then we all just sang like tons of songs, and that was really cool to be able to be out on the beach god's creation, see the sunset, and just worshiping god and then the main thing I learned at Fort Pierce was that it's not about us, but it's about what we're doing like while we were packing the boxes and everything people were getting frustrated and we were hot and we were tired but then as soon as we stopped thinking about us and started thinking about the ministry and how it glorified God it made it just so much easier and that's it
6: hey my name is uh Jacob and I went on the Marietta mission trip and uh one of the most amazing parts for me was uh, working with the adults and how they didn't just kind of stop and supervise. They got their hands dirty too, uh, Miss Kelly, Miss Becky, and Mr. Gary. They worked just as hard as the kids. And uh, I was honestly not too excited about this mission trip because I've had the chance to go to California and Thailand before. I've been blessed to go on mission trips that far, so I really wasn't expecting too much from this mission trip. And it was mainly younger kids, but uh, it just blew me away, the willingness to serve and how these kids just really – found joy and happiness in serving others. Uh, Brother Gary shared with something with us the first day we were there, and he said, uh, sometimes on a mission trip, you have to take out the garbage. And he meant that literally and figuratively. <laughs> and uh, we helped out this ministry called Must Ministries. It was a donation center for food and for clothing and stuff. We'd have to sort through it. And it was honestly kind of nasty at times. And uh, they had these big barrel drums that people would donate clothes to. And People passing by would sometimes throw trash in them and stuff and spit their gum in it because they didn't know what it was. It looks like a trash can. But uh, some of the little kids that were upcoming boys, upcoming 8th grade and ninth grade boys, they were in charge of jumping in these barrels and scrubbing the insides of them. And uh, me and Brother Gary were uh, cleaning the outside of one of them, and we heard this kid scream, Oh, no, there's gum inside of this one. And so we helped pull the kid out, and uh, the first thing he said was can y'all get me a scraper and some goo gone so I can get this gum out. He didn't say this is nasty, can I do something else, can I take a break. He wanted to tackle it. And that willingness to serve was what I saw from everybody, Uh, the college kids, the older youth, the younger youth, the adults, everybody throughout this whole week. And something that really touched me was there was this lady in her 90s that was at the church that we were staying at, and uh, one day she said she was going to cook lunch for us when we got back from serving at Must Ministries and we were looking forward to it. And uh, her best friend had died and the funeral was going to be on the day that she was supposed to cook for us. And her best friend had been friends with this lady for like 50 years. And she missed her best friend's funeral to come and cook food for us. And that really touched me because I was thinking, man, that willingness to serve, they were so happy to have this youth group come and serve and help out with their vacation Bible school and help out with the ministries in their town. It was just real encouraging to me because I wasn't too excited about this mission trip. I didn't think we'd have that big of an impact, but it reminded me this was a smaller church, a smaller youth group, and they were really fired up about having us come. Like we literally doubled the youth group attendance by just coming and showing up. And they were so fired up, and they just wanted to please us. they They were excited about having some people to come and serve. And it was such a reminder, you don't have to go out of country or even out of state to serve the Lord. You can do it right there in your own backyard. And sometimes the best thing to do is not even to think about yourself, about how hot it is or how nasty the conditions you're working in. What's important is you're doing what the Lord wants you to do. And if you have the chance to go on a mission trip or if you have a chance to talk to someone at your work or school or whatever, God's put you in that situation for a reason. And you don't have to travel far. There's everyday opportunities you can find to serve the Lord. And I'm just really grateful that I got to go on this mission trip. And uh, we had a blast. So thank you.
7: Lauren, you weren't the only one that tried to find out where the mystery trip was. We tried our best as staff to kind of trip Bill up here and there. And and when he went to turn in the receipts for the airfare, you know, he had to buy the tickets online. I knew I was going to get it. You know, he had to turn those in. Black magic marker. Blacked out everywhere it said what the destination was. You know, didn't do it that way. We tried to trip him up in staff meeting like, now where are you all going on that mission trip? uh, You know, so he did well. He did well. I'm not sure whether it's just he's getting older and he forgot or (laughs) he's just really good at keeping a secret. But anyway, sounds like some great mission trips and uh, glad to hear those reports. Our offertory hymn is number 416. If you'll stand and let's sing together, My Faith Looks Up to Thee, the first, second, and last verse.
8: Father, thank you for this privilege you've given us tonight to be in your house. Lord, we thank you for the gift of giving and the fact that you allow us to give to you. And, Lord, through doing so, we're blessed even more. And, Father, we've heard some tremendous testimonies tonight of young people who have given already, of their time and energy, and through that, Lord, they've been blessed. And, Father, we ask you now to bless these tithes and offerings as we give them. Help us to be cheerful. Help us to be faithful. And, Father, help us to be generous because, as we've heard from their testimonies, we are certainly a blessed nation and a blessed community. Lord, use these gifts and offerings in a way that will honor you and spread the name of Jesus throughout the world. God, and direct us now through the remainder of this service. May your spirit be among us. May we look to uh, Brother Wayne now with excitement to hear the words that he'll bring to us. All these things we ask in your name. Amen.
1: Guys, I can't even begin to fathom how much God loves us. And every analogy we can come up with to try to compare his love or uh, measure it falls so far short. He loves us more than we can imagine. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, justice versus forgiveness. You know I love parables. This is the great parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew eighteen twenty-one through thirty-five. Peter came up and said to him, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him, as many as seven times?" Peter wants to know, "Give me a measuring stick, and uh, when I when I forgive my brother that many times, then I know I will have fulfilled my obligations." Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began the reckoning, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. As he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Lord, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But then that same servant, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down and besought him and said the exact same words that the first servant had said to the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you besought me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In anger, his Lord delivered him to the jailers till he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If there's anyone here this evening who has anything against a brother or sister, this parable ought to make you think twice right now. Let's pray. Father, as we come to to consider this, this parable that Jesus taught about a king who forgave extravagantly, And the recipient of that forgiveness who was unable to forgive in even a minor way. Hold up a mirror for each one of us and help us be sure that we've done all we can to forgive. Because every one of us have been so greatly forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this parable begins with a lesson in mathematics. Peter asked, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? I think that was what the rabbis taught. Seven times, and you had fulfilled your obligation to the law. Sounds reasonable. It sounds merciful. As a matter of fact, you know, I hear a lot of people say, forgive me, uh, fool me once, shame on you. No, fool me twice, shame on me. So we don't like to be fooled twice, much less seven times. That sounds pretty merciful. I might forgive the the person for wronging me three or four times, but seven times, that's above and beyond the call of duty. That's the extra mile. But instead of Jesus patting Peter on the back for being so magnanimous, Jesus responds with a geometrically progressive number. True forgiveness, Jesus says, must be limitless. You cannot forgive and keep a tally. Throw away your calculator, throw away your file cabinet, stop counting and keeping score. There are no mathematicians or accountants, sorry Jim, in heaven. Jesus said my kingdom of God, Jesus said in my kingdom there is no forgiving. You're a song leader tonight, okay. (laughs) There is no forgiving seven times or even 70 times seven. Jesus said that, and he did, what's 70 times seven, 490? He didn't mean that 491, you could lower the boom. He was just giving an example, and he tells a parable about forgiveness. A king wished to settle accounts with his servants, balance the books, set things straight. He said, let's talk justice and get things squared away. He had a servant who owed him 10,000 talents. And if you don't know how much a talent is, you miss the whole point of the parable. Because a talent is equivalent to about 15 years' labor. So the servant owed him somewhere around $150 million. An astronomical amount. We're talking big money here. We're talking our national debt for a day. Well, when the little wretch couldn't pay up, the king ordered him and his wife and his children sold into slavery, does that seem harsh? Remember, $150 million is a lot of money. Imagine a king loaning even $1 million. He must have been either very generous or, or very foolish. What happened to all that money that servant had? What kind of lifestyle must he have lived in order to blow $150 million? Don't feel sorry for him. Like the prodigal son, he went through a lot of money. And when the king requests payment, how much does he have left? Nothing. A wife, a couple of kids, a stint in jail, that's really not so harsh when you've managed to waste $150 million. I mean, a lot of folks think Bernie Madoff got off easy, right? So you can't blame the king for being angry. If we're talking only, say, a couple of million, maybe the king could write it off. $150 million, it's time to do something. This miserable servant has gone through his king's wealth, put him and his family in the slammer, and let him think about it for a while, living extravagantly on someone else's income. Then there follows a scene that's not real surprising. What would you do if you were the servant and you're about to be hauled away to jail? That's right, you'd grovel. And that's what the servant did. Literally, he falls down, and the Greek word says he worships the king. Have patience... With me, and I will repay you everything. Who's he kidding? Where's he going to come up with that kind of money when he's already wasted 150 million? Who's going to loan him another 150 million? That's funny. Who <laughs> <Hey>, the Chinese? <laughs> we got to keep getting. We got to get away from our, our federal government in this parable. <laughs> well, the servant here is on his knees before the king, and the king has an outburst of pity and. He sets his servant free, and he cancels the entire debt, $150 million. And here the story begins to sound really improbable. What kind of king is this? First, he was a strange one to have loaned a servant, $150 million. But maybe he's a little soft-headed, too, as well as soft-hearted. How can he write off such a financial inequity? $150 million. Well, it's only money. The king must have thought, this poor little servant didn't have all the advantages in life that I had. No one ever taught him how to manage a portfolio. I'll just write the whole thing off and deduct it on my taxes. Don't get too excited, though, because the king's generosity is short-lived. On his way out of jail, the servant who has just been given the break of his life, he's just won the Mega Millions Lotto, runs into a fellow servant who owes him 100 bucks. He grabs him by the nape of his neck and he nearly chokes him and he says, pay me back everything you owe me. Now, if he, if he had to come up with $150 million to pay the king back, I could understand his insistence on wanting everybody who owed him anything to pay him back something. But remember, his debt's already been forgiven. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He's just being greedy. Have patience with me and I will repay you everything, this other servant pleads. Heard something like this before? It worked for $150 million, but not this time for $100. This servant, who's only in debt $100, but he borrowed from a fellow servant instead of a king. Put him in the slammer, let him think it over. Well these fellow servants are bystanders and they see everything that's happening and they go back and report it to the king. And and the king, unbelievably generous king, finally comes back down to earth. You evil servant, I forgave you this gigantic debt and now you can't find it in your heart to write off a mere hundred bucks? It makes me sick that I was ever so merciful to you when I see how little mercy you have managed to show someone else. And now an angry king hands the servant back over to the jailers until he should pay back every last cent of the $150 million he owes. This is where the story begins to hit home. We find it difficult to understand someone who writes off a $150 million debt just because a few tears are shed. But we understand someone who really gives it to an ungrateful little wretch. At the beginning of the story, we didn't want to see this servant go to jail, even if he did owe $150 million. But by the end of the story, when this forgiven servant is so unforgiving of his fellow servant, we're delighted to see him led off to the jailers. Great, he's getting what he deserves. Look how unforgiving he was to his fellow servant when he had been forgiven so much himself. We aren't particularly into vengeance at the beginning of the story. But by the end of the story, we are applauding as this ungrateful little wretch is led away. He's getting what he deserves. He ought to hang for being so ungrateful. But by the end of the story, there's a little difference between the vengeful servant and the vengeful king. Perhaps we thought the king was some kind of nice guy, an unbelievably generous guy who goes around writing off massive debts to everyone. But by the end of the story, he's the kind of person who repays injustice with punishment. The servant he wanted to put into jail at the beginning of the story ultimately does end up in jail. So the king does to the unforgiving servant what the unforgiving servant tried to do to his fellow servant, only worse. And this is the way the world goes round. Whether people are in palaces with the king or out in the alleyways with the little people, we love the story What goes around, what comes around. You reap what you sow, you get what you deserve, even punishment. There is a kind of balancing of scales and a justice of life. Though it sometimes seems tough and, and sometimes takes a long time in coming, at least somewhere sometime people get what they deserve. The servant's punishment seems a little excessive, but as indicated by his treatment of his fellow servant, justice is ultimately done. And so there really isn't a big difference between an angry king who punishes and the angry servant who cannot forgive and us. After our brief outburst of generosity toward the servant at the beginning of the story, aren't we all delighted to see him get what's coming to him in the end? The king and the servant, by their lack of forgiveness and their fundamental desire to see justice get done, are a whole lot like us. How many of you cried when junk bond king Michael Milken was led away in chains out of his stretch limo and Palm Beach pad and did not pass go or collect $200 but went directly to jail? Did you feel sorry for Bernie Madoff or Leona Helmsley or Jim Baker? How often should I forgive, Peter asked Jesus. Let's be generous. Seven times. Jesus says 70 times seven. And he tells the story. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to our little kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to, to balance the books and settle accounts. We live in an unjust world for those moments when we can savor revenge. When what goes around comes around and accounts are finally settled. And, and I heard a saying a couple weeks ago, I've been thinking about, what is, it, what is it? Revenge is a dish that's best served cold. In our world, in our kingdom, where there are eternal cycles of vengeance and repayment, Arab, Israeli, rich, poor, Irish, Catholic, Protestant, Korean, Japanese, black, white, treadmills of retribution and no way to get off, no way to break the cycle. So by the end of the story, we're smiling with secret satisfaction. When the servant is led away by the jailers, Jesus' story has revealed the big truth and it hits us smack in the face. We are no different and no better than they. But there's hope. Because on a Friday afternoon, when he had been stripped of his dignity, after his friends had forsaken him and fled and soldiers had spit upon him and whipped him, and after the trial, when he was dragged up a hill and his hands and feet nailed to a beam of wood, and he was crucified, and he hung there bleeding unto death, He looked down upon those standing around. This true king said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the wheels of revenge that had been turning came to a grinding halt. And the eternal cycle of retribution was finally derailed, and our little kingdoms, bent on getting even, finally crumbled. And all accounts were settled finally once and for all and left us eternally indebted to Him. And so because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, maybe, just maybe, we can find it in ourselves to forgive not just seven times or even 70 times seven, but infinitely number of times, lest we too one day be found. Ungrateful servants. 150 million is peanuts compared to what Jesus has forgiven you and me. How can we do any less than forgive each other the paltry wrongs that have been done us? How forgiving are we going to be? Let's pray. Father, we read this parable about a king who forgave an exorbitant amount and a servant who received that forgiveness failed to offer it to his fellow man. I guess we are adept at rationalizing exactly how much you have forgiven us as if we deserved it or had it coming or were inherently better than someone else whom you have not forgiven. But the truth is, we don't deserve it. And when Jesus died on the cross and offered forgiveness for sins, every right we ever had to demand forgiveness forgiveness from someone else or, or someone to pay us back, every right we ever had for that just fell apart and came crashing down. So, Father, help us to forgive the sins and debts and trespasses of others that you might continue to forgive us our trespasses. Not only for what you have done, but for what you're doing. Help us be truly forgiving of each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 290 is our invitational hymn, I Am Thine, O Lord. If you want to give your life to Jesus, if you know that He died on the cross to save you from your sins. If you know you've been forgiven and would like to invite him into your heart tonight, I would love to help you do that. If you already have, and maybe you need to share that publicly, maybe you'd like to come and pray and and find forgiveness from Christ once more and find the strength to offer it to each other. If you need to join this church, I'll be at the front 290. I am thine, O Lord. You come as we stand and sing.